Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Welcome back to America. Hey, good day, mate. It's lovely to be back, eh? Oh, God. I really thought we could avoid you trying to do bullshit Crocodile Dundee, but I don't guess, I don't guess that's possible, huh? No, I'm, I'm actually doing Wally, who was my tour manager, who was basically an Australian hybrid of John Paul Shellnut. Well, okay. Well... I don't know what all that means, but I know you had a great time. You were sending me lots of fun pictures and, uh, it, it seems like you had such a good time that you spread the word to our mutual friend, Eric Bischoff. And now he's going to Australia in June. Well, he's going to have a damn good time. I can promise him that. So it's going to be a, that'll be a good one for everybody. I know I had a blast and the Australian audiences were fantastic. Uh, I, I just, I can't say enough. I, it was a bucket list dream of mine to go to Australia. I got to experience it and I'll definitely be back at some point. So chat me up. What was the feedback you got about last week's episode? WrestleMania 10. Well, I think everybody, <laughs> they all compared it to WrestleMania 20 and most of the feedback I got was all positive. It was, I think that we did a pretty damn extensive job going through all the different topics and all the shit that took place throughout. And I would also have to say everybody agreed that probably the greatest opening match in WrestleMania history was Owen Hart and Bret Hart. Can we also agree that you were mistaken and Barry Wendell was definitely not there? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going for that. Okay. Dude, I don't give a fuck. Okay. <laughs> I like you're going to dig your heels in on something silly, but let me tell you. You dug I your, always dig my heels in on silly shit. I'm a heel digger. You dug your I dig heels. heels. I'm trying to make a transition when you quit stepping on me. Well, go ahead. Give me a countdown. And go. You really dug your heels in last year when you were a part of filming something pretty, pretty, pretty special. We expected it to be on air by now, but in fact, it was delayed a little bit. But the wait is finally over. On Wednesday, April 10th at 9 p.m., you need to go find Viceland. These guys have put together a six-part documentary series I cannot recommend enough. I've seen all but one of them. Each was best, better than the last. They're outstanding. It's called Dark Side of the Ring. Our great close personal friend, Evan Husney, helped put it together. But this is going to be a documentary series that uncovers controversies, tragedies, and even some true crime stories from professional wrestling's golden age. And they have a tremendous lineup. You and I saw the Bruiser Brody episode, I don't know, two or three January, two Januaries ago, and it was phenomenal. And I said, then it might be one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. And they've only gotten better as I've seen more of them. And they're going to start out with a bang, man. April 10th is the match made in heaven. It's going to examine how art collided with real life in the mythical love story between the wrestling icons, Macho Man Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth, and of course, how it exploded outside of the ring with tragic consequences. And you're all over the thing. So was our friend Eric Bischoff, and I know Jim Cornette was a big part of this series. And is this the best like documentary series you've ever seen on wrestling? Uh, you know, they did their homework and it's going to be really interesting. The funny thing is it was so damn long ago that I did the interviews. I totally forgot a lot of even what the hell that we talked about, but it's, they definitely did their homework and it's going to be interesting to see how it all 
just shakes out in the end. Can't wait. Well, I don't want to give you spoilers for what all the other topics are. I think everybody who went to Starcast last year knows the Bruiser Brody one is out there. Now, it hasn't aired yet, but it's going to as part of this series. But we're starting off with Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. Set your clock, set your calendars, throw in a reminder in your phone. Wednesday, April 10th at 9 p.m. on Viceland. Really a phenomenal job. I was super entertained by the whole thing. And hopefully you've been entertained by what we've been doing here for you on the show. Uh, we're bringing you a pretty special episode this time and it's WrestleMania X seven. But before we do that, cause I know you're fired up about this. I want to go ahead and get this out of the way. You and I vouched for something a couple of weeks ago and it's paid off. Betwithbruce.com is going to take you to the Philly Godfather where if you followed his picks so far in this March Madness tournament and you were a regular $100 better, you would have won $1,360. He's hitting on all cylinders. The last six tournaments, he hit 64.7% of the time. And now he's got a cool offer for the remainder of the tournament. It's only $49. You get all the picks. This is the same guy who called the World Series champion last year in August, and he called the Super Bowl champions and he even predicted Trump would win the presidency when nobody else would. Uh, so I don't know what sort of deal with the devil this dude's made, but he's got the hookup and people are making money. I had a couple of my buddies who actually took advantage of this special and they're blowing me up trying to take me to dinner because they won and you will too. Go check it out. Betwithbruce.com. There's a couple offers on there for free money at legal sports books as well. Uh, so take a look. Betwithbruce.com. And you've met the Philly Godfather. It's pretty legit, huh? He is the i mean no he he's more than legit he is the man and he amazes me because of his accuracy and he does his homework unlike and you're not you're actually getting an insight on his picks what he bets okay these aren't you know he's not selling picks he's he's showing you his moves what he is actually making with his own money what he is putting out there so if you want to be with a winner as you said, his percentage is absolutely unheard of. Steve Maltese, the phillygodfather.com, and it's so easy to get to it, betwithbruce.com. But if you want to win, go ahead, take advantage of some free money and take advantage of the best mover and the best prediction guy out there, the Philly Godfather. And take advantage of our last live show in New York City. Can't believe this is really going to happen. It's our last one. It's in Brooklyn. It's right after the biggest Monday Night Raw of the year. And uh, tickets are on sale now at BrucePritchard.com. Probably the last time you and good old JR are going to be on stage together, too. I think his WWE days are winding down. And uh, if what you read on the internet is true, this is probably the last time you guys will be able to do something like this. And certainly the last time you and I will be doing a live something to wrestle in new york city so pick up tickets right now brucepritchard.com uh, i can't believe that it's our last new york show it feels like our home away from home but tickets are on sale now come join us especially if you're in new york and you're a something to wrestle fan this is it brucepritchard.com and it's on april 8th the monday after wrestlemania right after raw it should be fun especially if you've been uh, consuming a little alcohol of course you'll be fresh from work but everybody else should be feeling good listened up well, I'll be ready to rock and roll, man. I'll be feeling great. Well, I'm feeling great about, uh, the hate I'm about to receive because I'm just going to start off. I'm going to come in hot. Are you ready for this? Go for it. WrestleMania X seven was overrated. I disagree. 
you know, I, I, we, people have wanted this show for a long time. We're going to give it to you. Here's the thing that's, that I just need to caution everybody with. If you love the show, there's not going to be a whole lot of entertainment in this show because the best shows are the ones that we get to make fun of and shit on. And I get to yell at Bruce. So I'm not taking this stance of X seven is overrated to be combative with Bruce. I just think they fucked it up at the end. So if you want to hear me yell at Bruce, just hang on till the end. Uh, but before that, let's just, you know, let's start from a, a different place. This is something you've teased, believe it or not, when we covered no way out 1998. And you said that was actually the first time you remember there being conversations about folks trying to make bids on WrestleMania and try to court WrestleMania to come to their city. And you remember that X seven is really the first time that happened. Carry me through the process and how WrestleMania came to Houston. Well, there was a group and well, still is a group. It's the largest building management group in the world, SMG and SMG at the time had in 1998, I guess it was 1999 in that time frame was, they were purchasing stadiums and they were purchasing, um, they built a lot of arenas. They manage all the arenas and they were broadening their horizons by going out and purchasing stadiums to manage as well. So SMG had just purchased the rights to take over management for the Houston Astrodome. Mike McGee, who was president of SMG, started SMG. It was his company. Mike McGee had been the building manager of the summit in Houston, Texas. He's the one who built the summit and he, his company managed the summit along with many other buildings across the world. And Mike's company had just come in and along with Jeff Gaines, who at that time was the manager of the summit, they were going to sell the summit and compact center, uh, had the naming rights, but they were in the process of selling the summit to Joel Olstein and, and Joel Olstein's church. But throughout all of this, uh, Mike McGee and Jeff Gaines came up in the middle of a show while we were doing a Monday night raw at the compact center, hashtag summit or slash summit. And they said, Hey, we're running the dome. Now we want WrestleMania. What do we have to do? And Briscoe and I almost at the same time said, pay us. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, you pay for the Super Bowl, don't you? So yeah, but that's the Super Bowl. I said, oh, fuck that. You want WrestleMania? Pay for it. And they kind of looked at each other and ran away. Shows going on and so on and so forth. And at the end of the night, uh, Mike and Jeff met with Vince and told him they were interested in having WrestleMania there and so on and so forth. Um, long story short, they came back to us and they created a very, uh, unique agreement that enabled us to come into Houston, come into the Astrodome along with all of the Astro facilities, the Astro hall, the Astro arena. We utilized uh, all of the facilities on the grounds for WrestleMania for fan access and to be able to have an entire week of WWF events. So that was the first time that a building and or a city had come in and said, we want you, we want you to bring WrestleMania here. We're willing to make it attractive for you. Now it's nothing like it is now. 
However, that was the first one. That was the first step of being that that brand that the cities wanted and that buildings wanted to bring in. And they had no idea the effect that it would have on the city and the bottom line. And that's when those studies really started taking place and taking hold how much revenue that we would bring into a city when we would come in for a week. So this particular show was the model and the first one to, to come in and everybody wanted to work with us and, and we made it work. And it was uh, the doings of Jeff Gaines and, and Mike McGee on the building side and on the city side that made all of that happen. You're going to give us an idea of what type, how the deal would be structured or what it looked like. Well, it was just made it so that there was no money out of our pocket. And in addition, we had, I believe it was the first national, we really had two national sponsors, but one of them had to be a local sponsor. The national sponsor, I believe was Mars, but it was a, we had a national sponsorship that kicked in. We also had a local sponsorship, which was gallery furniture, which spent a lot of money, uh, to make the WrestleMania, the success that it was locally. And that helped because mattress Mac, my good friend, Jim McInvale and gallery furniture, they were looking to go national as well during that time. So it gave them an awful lot of exposure it was, I don't know that there was a whole lot, and I, I don't know per se. I know that the there wasn't a lot of money exchanged for on the building side and the city side. However, there were a lot of things that were made available to us that wouldn't have been made available to us. In addition to that, there wasn't a large outlay of money on our part. So do you believe they absorbed a lot of that? Do you believe you got the dome for free or nearly free? I say we got an unbelievable deal on the dome and the facilities all around it Okay, for that use. And, and in addition to that, we got um, promotional value locally. We were on uh, roughly 200 trucks that were around the city every single day, gallery furniture from the moment that, that Mac shook our hand and we announced WrestleMania. Mac had 200 trucks wrapped in WrestleMania logos and stars his trucks look like the wwe trucks look now and they were all over houston every single day 200 trucks in addition to that every single one of his advertisements which he's on you turn on the tv in houston uh, anytime during the day mattress mac was on save you money and don't forget wrestlemania at the astrodome um reliant astrodome but it was it was a promotion that was absolutely un- unbelievable. And on top of that, when we went in to talk to Mattress Mac originally, it, it was we were looking for just such a small amount of money because that's what we were used to. And in the meeting, I've known Mac since I was a kid and he says, what kind of money are you looking for? And before Bob Collins could get it out, I said a million dollars and Mac laughed, but he didn't say no. And he walked around with a very large check in his pocket is the down payment <laughs> for probably three weeks and it, uh, just waiting to give it to us because we kept on saying we were going to be in town and we would miss each other. 
but he paid an ungodly amount of money. And when I say that in advertising that absolutely could not have been replicated and that nobody could have afforded on their own, but on his, his rotation, you know, about buying in bulk for advertising locally, Mac was on every station, pretty much damn near every break. And in every single ad he had either Ric Flair or Eddie Guerrero, um, Somebody, Eric Bischoff. No, Eric Bischoff wasn't on that one. He was on a later one. But we had uh, just everybody under the sun on on those shows. And Flair wasn't on that one either. It was on the later one. But it was it was insane. That's interesting to me that uh, you still used a local businessman for that. And it was for such a gargantuan amount of cash. But nonetheless, an interesting story. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, when you decide that you're going to run a dome, how far in advance do you ink a deal like this with the city, with, with the chamber, with the building, whoever, how, how many months in advance do you know we're coming to this dome for this show on this day? We knew a year in advance. Now, allegedly behind the scenes now there, there may be multiples, but there is at least one guy who does nothing but work on WrestleMania. And this year at WrestleMania, he'll already be working on next year's. Correct. Before this year's WrestleMania, I mean, they, they were working on, you know, Tampa pretty much almost last year. Once they, once they had secured, uh, New Jersey, I'm sure they were working on the, the next one after that. Not just, you know, the actual building itself, but I mean, they start working on the stage and they start working on you know, where all the hotel, all the logistics of the actual show. And then just the massive undertaking it is to get all the other pieces of this show outside of the stadium together. Right. Absolutely. And at the time that man was Bob Collins and Bob was a promoters promoter. He wasn't a marketing guy. He, he was a promoter. He came from Ringling brothers and he loved, he loved the hype. He loved getting out and creating new and different ways to promote events. So Bob eventually became the WrestleMania guy. And that was all he did. His, he and his staff worked on WrestleMania all year long to make it the biggest event. And you always have to be thinking ahead as to what's next. Cause once you get one secured, that's, that's the beginning of the work. Now you have to do everything else, but also in the middle of that, you have to be thinking about the next year and where you're going to go and what you're going to do with it. Then let's talk a little bit about the main event and we're going to circle back to it, but Austin rock, the two hottest stars in the business, how far in advance did you know that's the main event of WrestleMania 17, of course, barring injury. I mean, you could never predict that, but if everything goes smooth sailing, we want these two guys on top. When would that decision have been made to the best of your guesses? Probably in August, November. Probably so, in that time frame, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about WCW. And we're gonna get into more of this, but I guess I should say I'm not gonna let this this episode become all about the closure of WCW. And I think most famously people remember that WCW had their last night show just six days before this WrestleMania. And we're going to talk about that, of course, but I'm not going to talk about that last night show a ton because we've already covered it in our archives. It's something to wrestle.com. There's a whole show on the last night show, 
But the thing that people really remember the most about that last nitro is that Vince McMahon appeared on the show. And at the end of the show, as, as nitro is going off the air, you guys snuck a little commercial in there for WrestleMania, which is just genius. Carry me through the extra, you know, oomph you think that may have gotten for the show, if any, or was it just high fives all around because it was cool and sort of putting your flag in enemy territory? Well, uh, we owned it. It was no longer enemy, enemy territory, so we owned it. We were going to utilize every opportunity that we had, and the fact that we were able to do it on TNT was just one more avenue to promote WrestleMania. So um, been a fool not to. You've got it, and it's there, so use it. I'm glad that you said that because you said it's there. You've got it. Use it. Obviously we know that we're going to see some WCW wrestlers in a luxury box at this show. Was there ever any consideration in the weeks leading up to this, where it becomes apparent that the WCW acquisition is going to happen. It's no longer a rumor in innuendo. It's real. Is there ever a consideration for, Hey, let's try to get this guy or that guy and do something at WrestleMania in the ring. No. And here's the reason why, first of all, that didn't take place until a week and a half before WrestleMania. The the finality of it, the actual purchase going through, so on and so forth. We we were out of the running, so we thought, and then all of a sudden back in, and it, and it took place, and it took place as we've stated very quickly. So when we got down, we knew what we had purchased. We had purchased the assets, and we had purchased the tape library and some other assets. But there was no commitment to talent at all because we didn't know what we had. We didn't have all of their contracts. And to try and sort through all of that in the time frame that we had, damn near impossible. So the the main names, they were all under AOL Time Warner contracts with huge guarantees that we were not going to assume. Uh, We're not even going to entertain it. Plus, I don't think that a lot of that talent would have wanted to come over at the time because they were getting guaranteed money to do nothing. So to, to that effect, it was it was a non-issue. In addition to that, we had WrestleMania booked. And trying to force something in there, there was preliminary talk of, you know, do we, the question was asked, do we use them in the Shane Vince match? Uh, is possibly bringing those guys in and from the get go, Vince was adamant. No, it's, it's not, it's not about them. It's about Vince and Shane and that it needed to remain that family issue and stay there. If you bring in other guys, it would muddy it up and it would just confuse them because the guys that we had, the very few talent that we kept on and that we absorbed their contracts, um, I don't think anybody would have known them anyway. They wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have been any impact anyway. So that was nixed from the get-go, that it was we're staying with the storylines that we have. Yes, it was discussed initially, um, thrown out there, do we use these guys? And it was very quickly shot down because the story was the McMahon family story, not the WCW story. We would regroup after the fact when we know what we have with WCW 
and we would take it from there. But we still didn't know what the hell we had. It was all very, very fluid, and it just it was a living, breathing organism. Speaking of uh, living, breathing organisms that you didn't really know what you had, the XFL. I think a lot of people forget this is happening at the exact same time. ACW is going out of business. WCW is going out of business. The XFL circling the drain, man. And the March 26th observer Meltzer would write the business woes of the XFL continued this week with the 317 game becoming the lowest rated television show in the history of big four network prime time drawing a 1.6 rating and a three share for the Birmingham bolts versus the Las Vegas outlaws, both from a combination of March madness and a fallout of the tees from the previous week, not being delivered. That was doomed to kill the next week's rating. The UPN game the next night drew a 1.0. So just horrible ratings and NBC responds by quietly sending word out that they're looking to produce inexpensive dramas for Saturday night next season. And in an advertisers conference, they start selling the fall season. The XFL is never mentioned or brought up. So NBC is already realizing, uh, we got to get out of this thing. When you, when you think back to this time of WrestleMania X seven, and you think about, you're about to have the biggest WrestleMania ever. ECW is going under WCW is going under and the XFL. Maybe not. Maybe it's better days were behind us. Maybe it was just better left as an idea. In fact, what's Vince McMahon like right here. This feels like he's got too much going on. Well, I think that Vince is one of those people that the more he has going on in some regards, the better he can be at this time. It was, there was so much shit going on. And he, he was involved in every single bit of it. It was chaotic. I mean, it, it was just crazy because we're trying to take care of our shows in the middle of all this shit. You know, you've got XFL games going on. And by this time I was so far removed from the XFL. You couldn't, if you mentioned the word football to me, I probably would have popped, um, so I was so far out of it and so far away from it, I, I didn't want to know. And Vince made such an effort to be available to everybody that he wasn't going to let any one thing get more of his attention so as to neglect anything else. Um, so for us, he was he was very readily available, and we were constantly talking creative, and we were constantly looking at what's next. And for the weeks before that, you know, or the week before it was, all right, if we acquire WCW, what the hell do we do with it? And is it worth acquiring? And, and it came down to the assets of the tape library. And that was all they were really interested in. Do we really want anything else? They, there wasn't a lot of interest in anything else. So, for us on, on our side of it, it was the XFL wasn't so much even a distraction because we didn't get, you know, we didn't get hind tit. We were, <laughs> you know, we were, we were in the forefront and WrestleMania was in front of us and on the wrestling side of things, that's what we were focusing on in the middle of it. We got thrown in the monkey wrench with, Oh, by the way, we need to go down to Panama city and produce the last nitro. Oh shit. Okay. 
And by the way, we've got WrestleMania coming up and in the middle of getting to the biggest show of the year, you have all of this other shit going on. Um, the XFL for us was get them through their big game at the end of the year and we'll see what happens at the end. You know, let us know. But I don't know that anybody was that, that dug in on the XFL from, from our side, especially like myself, Michael Hayes and Brian Gwertz who had experienced it firsthand. We were like, thank you, God, get us out. Well, Dick Ebersol, who's, you know, of course, heading up NBC says it's going to have to show a marked swing in the ratings in the postseason for it to have a real shot beyond this year, just from an advertising standpoint. He says that a final decision won't be made until the end of April, but really anybody reading the tea leaves knows that, well, we're about done here. And so is the experiment of Vince McMahon working with Jesse Ventura. He brought Jesse into the XFL to be a football commentator. And, uh, it's making the rounds of course, that because he is a politician that he maybe isn't doing the best job. And McMahon even comments and says he's on thin ice. We've made mistakes. And I think our biggest was our select our selection of announcers. We need football announcers, not WWF announcers. Our research shows people don't like him on the XFL. He's too over the top. Hyperbole turns people off. They know when you're telling the truth. Is it weird for Vince McMahon to say that? Because it feels like that's exactly what he wants in wrestling. Well, it is what he wants in wrestling. He, he, what he was saying is that the football audience didn't want that in football. So the, the conundrum was that football people didn't want wrestling. Wrestling people didn't want, you know, football. It, it was, it was weird. And the funny part about it is, is Dick Ebersol and the NBC guys were, big time in favor and, and really made a play for Jesse Ventura because they felt that Jesse being the governor of Minnesota, his high profile in the political world would get eyeballs on the product from an outsider looking in that. What the hell is Jesse going to say now? What's what the hell is he going to do? That's going to be controversial in this other world. So NBC is just as much, uh, to thank for that as anybody. And, you know, the XFL first time around, man, it was an experiment that you learned an awful lot that, you know, hopefully going forward that they won't make the same mistakes and they'll learn from the experiment last time. But it was in many ways, it was two different camps, uh, that, that would come together on a weekend and, fight it out a lot of times uh, because you had the the WWF camp and then you had the NBC and, and UPN camps that they had different ways of doing business and, and we had different ways of doing business. So in between the two, you know, it, it was uh, different philosophies that didn't always meet that well in the middle. One of the things that comes out about the XFL is that it looks like you guys may be moving to TNN and UPN. The reason I bring this up, and we've did a whole episode on the XFL at something to wrestle.com. You should go check it out, by the way. One of the more underrated episodes we've done. TNN is where ECW was, and Paul Heyman would go on TV back in the day, and 
and sort of blame the WWF or blame the, the network for falling in love with Vince McMahon and the WWE. Chat me up here. Do you think those were related at all? That what was related? Uh, e, uh... ECW not being, you know, the WWE is going to consider bringing football to TNN. Obviously, there is a relationship there. Talk to me about how that could have affected ECW, in your opinion. I don't know that it would affect ECW at all. ECW didn't deliver ratings. That's the only thing that affected ECW on TNN. Uh, the football had nothing to do with that, to my knowledge. We've also talked about the death of ECW in the archives. I feel like I'm saying that a lot today. Uh, but they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy on April 4th claiming 8.8 million in outstanding debts with only 1.3 million in assets, which meant the company was seven and a half million dollars in debt. And, uh, the biggest debt is to the family of Paul Heyman, 3.8 million. And Paul himself even declares personal bankruptcy in the wake of ECW going down. And, uh, this is just a, a tangled mess. We've touched on it before. Chat me up here about how this all came to be, because it does feel like a, a bit of a perfect storm. A lot of the guys in ECW's locker room were, were not exactly aware of exactly what was going on with the company. And then all of a sudden Paul Heyman shows up to do commentary. We just touched on this recently. He's filling in for a Jerry Lawler who just walked out. So, you know, where the King was now Heyman is and ECW is no moss chat me up about how that all came to be and, and what the potential effect on WrestleMania and all of this happening at the same time is. Well, obviously Paul was in financial straits and looking to get out. Paul needed a job. So Paul had agreed to come in and work with us, uh, help out and creative. And when the Lawler situation came about, Paul was right there. He was a good fit. And I really forgot how damn good Paul was on color commentary until watching WrestleMania 17 this week. Um, he, God, he's good. Uh, <laughs> I hate to say that I work with him, but, uh, but Paul, you know, it was no secret ECW. They, they lost their TV. Their business was not doing well. Guys weren't getting paid allegedly. And, Paul was in a bad way. So Paul had to declare bankruptcy and Paul had to put everything in, um, to get out of the mess that he was in. And so when it all came down to it, uh, the same thing pretty much where WWE went in to take what assets and help through the bankruptcy court and do what they could. But we had helped Paul all the way through a lot of that. And then it just got to the point where no matter how much we helped, the company wasn't going to survive at that point. They did not have, um, just didn't have the structure to do it and continue on. And I don't think the talent had the confidence, but if there was anything that was really fucked up that there wasn't a lot of communication with talent at all during the whole thing. And Paul would be the first one to tell you that it was actually, you know, Tommy dreamer that turned the lights out on ECW, not even Paul. Well, perhaps the lights wouldn't have been turned out. If Heyman had Robin hood, you see, Robin hood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos 
all commission free. And while other brokerages charge you up to 10 bucks for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees. So you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started. So you can get started investing at any level. The simple intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. In fact, it's so easy. Even Bruce Pritchard can do it. They've got very easy to understand charts, market data, and you can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as the 100 most popular with Robinhood. You can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies and get custom notifications for price movements. So you never miss the right moment to invest. And now Robinhood is giving listeners of something to wrestle a free stock like Apple Ford, Sprint, all to just help you build your portfolio. Go claim your free stock right now and sign up at wrestle.robinhood.com. It's a free stock, bro. What are you waiting on? Go to wrestle.robinhood.com. And Bruce, this is so easy. You're even doing it with that pile of money that Vince McMahon's giving you these days, right? I am doing it. And it is, well, I don't know another way to say it, but it is simple. It is easy. And yes, it's even easy enough that I'm doing it. I got my free stock. And you can, too, by simply going to wrestle.robinhood.com and do something with all that money you got hanging around. Well, let's talk about something else hanging around for the WWF. This content issue has been on and off criticized, not just here in America, but in Canada as well, including TSN. And there's some, some trouble here based on... Um, the salacious content, uh, the questionable content, the risque content of Monday night raw and Vince McMahon doesn't exactly make anything better when he visits Bob Costas on the record. And they're, they're trying to pin him down about Trish Stratus being stripped down on raw and being forced to bark like a dog. And the timing of that is coincidental with a Canadian broadcast standards council ruling that comes down on April 10th which is answering a lot of viewer complaints about the show. And they're bringing up Mae Young giving birth to a hand and they're calling it vulgar, sleazy, sexist, and violent. Some real issues here. And the panel comes down on both TSN and raw as war for code violations in particular, violating the national television code regarding sexist portrayals and remarks made during the broadcast by the likes of Jim Ross and Chris Irvine, who we know is Chris Jericho, including references to female characters on the show as wearing a $2 walking suit, that horny little she devil, a filthy, dirty, disgusting, brutal skank, uh, bottom feeding trash bag. hoe. Yeah. Of course, the council is also finding fault with TSN for failing to provide adequate advisories during raw to give them a heads up of the type of content that they're going to be seeing. And as a result, advertisers actually start to pull out a little bit. Pet boys pulls out and puts a statement out. This is, uh, interesting because it does feel like it was a prolonged problem. It feels like it started in 97. Here we are four years later. We're still talking about it, but clearly it's worked. All your competition's going out of business. Re- uh, revenue's never been higher. Um, but for whatever reason, it's finally catching up a little bit in Canada, but it's weird, you know, in hindsight that they didn't edit some stuff like when Rhino Gord, Molly Holly, 
they didn't, they didn't edit that, which I think's interesting. Um, what do you remember about the trouble with TSN? I, you know, I just remember it being another Canadian issue that, as you said, that there were some things that they edited, some things that they didn't, and they like to pick and choose. So you couldn't, you couldn't really tell what side they were on and what the hell they were going to be upset about or what they wouldn't. And they had the ability to edit every single thing that came into them and they had the shows in advance and they were able to, if there was something that might be the least bit questionable, we would inform them ahead of time and let them know, give them a heads up. So a lot of that goes on TSN. And a lot of that is after the fact that they might get heat from particular groups where they would react, they were more reactive than proactive. And we tried to be proactive by letting them know, Hey, this is what we're doing. This may be questionable. This is something you may want to look at. And if they felt it was okay, they would air it. That was their call. They decided what went on their network and what have you. Um, Yes, it was controversial. And yes, it was a different time. It was a completely different time in society. Um, You you just have to, you have to do what it is that that you can do. But uh, those things were things that were taking place on the Canadian side where we were assured, no, everything's fine. And then, then they would be upset again over little things, but they wouldn't be upset over other things. So it just was a constant ongoing issue with folks at TSN and depending upon what got the public riled up or what got some particular watchdog group riled up at the time. Well, you guys certainly got Bob Costas riled up. I know we've talked about this a little bit, but this appearance is something that lives on forever. People love to show clips of this and highlights of this. It's Vince McMahon sitting down with Bob Costas on an HBO show on March 14th. It's called on the record, which was a new show for Bob at the time. And he's clearly trying to play gotcha, you know, a former friend of the company who was at every WWF event that he could ever get to and couldn't wait to put it over and ham it up and was a wrestling fan. But here, man, he's really trying to take Vince to task and his behavior is, uh, uh, questionable. You might say a lot of people were, were really focused on Vince's behavior here. However, a lot of people will say McMahon apologists would say, oh, Vince was a showman. He was just, you know, making it entertaining and being a little over the top, but it did get interesting at times to say the least. Of course, the, the first half of the interview was talking all about the XFL. And then they started to talk about the wrestling angles where we touched on Trish Stratus, disrobing and barking like a dog. And then Costas is bringing up crotch grabbing and pointing at the crotch and saying, suck it, and all that stuff. And McMahon just goes nuts and he's screaming at Costas. Don't raise your voice at me. And things get off the rail where he says something like, you know, shut your mouth and let me answer the question. Were you there for the filming of this? And if not, what did you hear back from Vince about how it went after the fact? No, I wasn't there. I saw it. And it was, again, you have two different schools of, of thought on that. There are the sports purist and the Bob Costas followers. And then there are the wrestling fans and the followers of the WWF that felt that they were being vindicated by Vince and his reaction was warranted by continually being cut off and by not being allowed to answer the questions. And Costas bringing up, 
you know, he, he went to old statistics and went to old examples and had plenty of new shit to go to, but he didn't do his homework and he didn't particularly, I thought that they both didn't come off well. However, being on, on our side, it was nice to have somebody that would stick up for it. And yeah, Vince is a showman and Vince is going to make sure that whatever he does, people are going to be talking about it. Like you say, people are still talking about it today because of the performance. So calculated or not, people are still talking about it today. And he made his point and it was great television that people can point back to and go, Oh my God, you got to see this. This wasn't planned or was it? We'll never know. Go out of your way to find it. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere, but it is interesting because people, as you said, still talk about this. It's uh, probably as famous of a Vince McMahon interview that will ever exist. You know, when, when Vince comes back and discusses this with you, does he say, I mean, is it just move on? Or, I mean, is he really focused on that motherfucker, Bob? No, no, you know, it, Vince was on Bob's show and Vince knew, I think a, a lot of respects, what the hell he was getting into. So Vince isn't the kind of guy that's going to harp on that kind of shit. It's he did his thing and moved on. Now, when I say he did his thing and moved on, we're still commenting about it all these years later. And he has talked about it and used it, but would then take that particular situation and use it to talk about the XFL, to talk about WrestleMania coming up, to talk about everything else around it. So no matter how you view it, it was a beautiful promotional tool, um, good or bad, to get people talking. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you guys were getting people talking with for the local promotion. This is your home market, so you're probably... I'm just, we've never talked about this. So I'm just leaping here, probably more involved in the local promotion of this WrestleMania than any other, just because it's your home market. Fair to say. Yes, I, I was, I, I was involved heavily in the, in the local promotion and just, uh, probably more so than normal. You know, we've talked about, and I think one of our best episodes we ever did was the 1997 Royal rumble. Go out of your way to find that one. If you haven't already. It's, it's a time when the business is down for the company, but they swing for the fences and want to run a big dome show. So we talked about all the promotions they ran from Dr. Pepper cans, to Taco Bell offers and everything in between just to fill the place up pricing strategies, everything business-wise. What was different about this show or, or maybe if nothing was different, chat me up about what the local promotion looked like. You've talked to us a little bit about gallery furniture and mattress Mac, and I feel like uh, we've talked about him a lot here on the show besides gallery furniture and his spot load on every major cable network and the big four broadcast networks. What did the local promotion look like to raise awareness for WrestleMania here in Houston this year? Well, I want to say that it may have been one of the first times that we had a lot of major billboard. Um, we, did a lot of billboards throughout the city for probably four months from January, early January on about WrestleMania. So that was something that was different. It was a major billboard campaign where we were everywhere. 
everything with Mac. And, and it all does come back to Mattress Mac and Gallery Furniture because he was the exclusive local sponsor, plus he got that national exposure as well. So we were trying to help him in a lot of ways and him helping us. Local events, we were – they had a huge tennis tournament here in town. We had guys out there doing that. The Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, which is probably the largest event that takes place every year in Houston. And they would have a stock show every year. Plus, they would have uh, the rodeo go on with major music acts uh, every night. And that would be that goes on for two, three weeks, whatever it is. Um, we had a big presence in that as well. So we, we partnered with a lot of people and the, the crazy thing, and I can't believe I'm going to actually tell this story, but the Houston livestock show and rodeo was run by, um, folks, judges and, and just different, the pillars of the community, if you will. All right. Uh, people that have businesses and have a stake and they're, they're very big in, kids scholarships and, and ranches and taking care of children and agriculture and what have you. But they're also some of the most cliquish bastards you'd ever want to meet in your life. And Mattress Mac many years before this had gone on and every day at the rodeo, at the stock show, they would choose, for example, a grand champion chicken. This is the best chicken. This is the greatest chicken that this child has raised this year, and then they would auction it off and they would get extraordinary amounts of money for a chicken. Then they would get, they would auction off the grand champion pig. Then they would auction off the grand champion lamb and every animal there, they would have a grand champion and have an auction each day for the grand champion. Several years before Mattress Mac had purchased every grand champion animal that was auctioned off except for the main event. And the main event is the grand champion steer. That's the one that commands the most money. That's the one that everybody shows up to because it's the last day of the rodeo and the auctions and the stock show. So everybody shows up for it. And it's a big, big deal. You buy the grand champion steer, you're on the front page of the newspaper the next day. Well, along the way, Mattress Mac bought all the grand champion animals. And when you buy the grand champion, man, you're on the news. Everybody comes to interview you. And every single time they'd come to interview uh, Mattress Mac, he'd talk about, well, you know what? This grand champion chicken reminds me of the great Solidwood furniture we have at Gallery Furniture, 6006, I-45 North, between Tidwell and Parker. He turned every interview into a commercial, which really upset the hierarchy of the rodeo. When we went to the rodeo and we explained to them what we wanted to do and and we were coming in, we're the next event in the Astrodome, they were all gung-ho until we said we're sponsored by Gallery Furniture. So the year that Mac bought all the Grand Champions, I say he bought all of them except for the main event, the Grand Champion Steer. The reason being, the higher-ups in the rodeo all got together and they said, this son of a bitch is uh, using our rodeo and using our auction is a commercial. 
and we don't want them to be a part of it. So they all got together, and when Mac was bidding on the steer, they bid him up, and they outbid him. They thought, okay, he's going to pay big time for this. Mac walked out. So they got stuck paying an exorbitant amount for the grand champion steer. Where do you think the media went? They went to the guy that bought every grand champion except the steer and interviewed him. He says, well, you know, I guess it wasn't meant to be. I guess I just had, need to head on back to 6006 I-45 North between Tidwell and Parker and sell me some solid wood furniture. We've got a great sale going on right now. We're going to celebrate all the money that I saved today. You're going to be able to save today at Gallery Furniture. A master promoter. But the rodeo had a problem with us being associated with Gallery Furniture. So much so that uh, a dear friend of mine who was on the board I went to him for help and I said, can you help me out here? And we had a sit down and it was like an old mafia sit down almost with some old, older gentlemen and IW Marks, Irv Marks, who was dear, dear friend of mine. His, his son, Brad, still a great friend of mine, but he sat down with me and with these other guys and convince them. It was like, and Irv actually said, he goes, no, I vouch for Bruce. And if Bruce says that, um, this is a good thing, I say, it's a good thing. We should let them do what they want to do because we wanted to allow Mac and us to go in and bid on the grand champion steer. And Mac wanted to buy that damn thing. So we, we made it so that Mac would be able to bid on the, on the steer. They were like, okay, he can come in, and Mac didn't want to didn't want to be a part of it because they didn't want him. So it kind of brought everybody together, and we ended up day of the auction for the steer going in, and Mac spent six hundred and sixty thousand dollars on a steer with Steve Austin there by his side, and Steve bidding with Mac, and it was all over everything promotion that you couldn't buy. Well, you could for $660,000. But that was one of those stories that people shake their head at and go, what? It's a rodeo, but very political and very uh, clickish in so many ways. Well, you know what's not clickish? WWE Supercard Season 5. This week's episode of Something to Wrestle was brought to you by WWE Supercard Season 5. Step into the squared circle with rectangular cards. WWE Supercard is the collectible card battle game enjoyed by the millions and millions of WWE fans. That's going to feature your favorite WWE superstars, legends, and more. The big names, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, AJ Styles, Becky Lynch, Seth Rollins, and Ronda Rousey. Crush your opponents in real-time player versus player matches. Earn exclusive rewards in Royal Rumble and Elimination Chamber matches. Participate in weekly rotating events and even compete in King of the Ring tournaments to earn the top cards. Season 5 of WWE Supercard is available now for free in the Apple App Store, Google Play, and the Amazon App Store. And for all of our loyal listeners, we have a very special gift for you. Check out WWE.2K.com forward slash wrestle to get your free card pack and to help you boost your card deck and get a leg up on the competition. I'll give that to you one more time. It's WWE.2K.com forward slash wrestle 
and you're going to get a free card pack to help you boost your card deck and get a leg up on the competition. WWE.2K.com forward slash wrestle. And these are our boys, man. I love 2K. It's a fun game. And this is uh, a fun little uh, wrinkle to the game. I like this. Yeah. And Raymond actually gave me a uh, nice little peek into it. My son Kane has it in his, I can't get him out of his room now. Go do your homework, Kane. But uh, he loves it as well. Kane is 41 years old. Why are you yelling to do his homework? Because he's going to college and he's got to do homework. And he's not 41. He's 20. That's the, the other Kane. And he wishes he was 41. Oh, I thought your son was for you walk. Like you have a 41 year old son. Well, I do. Okay. All right. So it's tough in the delivery room. <laughs> Let's keep it going here. Uh, I guess we should touch on, you know what, before we get to the show, let's just talk about it. The video hyping up the rock and stone cold, Steve Austin with Limp biscuit, my way. Is this the top five best music videos in the history of pro wrestling? I watched it twice, uh, in the, in the open, in the, in the show. Um, I just went back cause it was so fucking good. Yes. I, I'd probably say it's, it, it is probably the best. You had so much to work with the, and the, the, it was like the, the song, the lyrics were written for the match almost good shit outstanding we'll try to link it on our social media at pritchard show on instagram at pritchard show on twitter um one of the all-time best videos for sure let's get to uh i mean we can't really do it justice so i'm, I'm just going to tell you to go find it or look for our link to it and enjoy it just pause what you're doing and go watch it and come back it's it's that good wrestlemania x7 directly from the observer here and almost every way was the culmination of the wrestling boom. What an opening line to the observer. Do you agree? Uh, yeah. I mean, it really feels like it with ECW going down, WCW going down, WWF's hotter than ever major dome show, biggest WrestleMania ever. I think he nailed it. He was and the two biggest stars in the business at the time going head to head. Yep. Much like the fantasy of WrestleMania three, which was the high peak of the eighties wrestling boom at the Pontiac Silverdome, this show 14 years later was the all around greatest major show the world wrestling federation ever produced. I'd have to agree with that too. While WrestleMania three was a good overall show in front of the record crowd. It had an atrocious main event that time and memories have been very kind to really only one great match. The in-ring standards of the WWF and the new crew of wrestlers have gone through the roof in the past two years, blowing away the quality of any previous time period. WrestleMania X seven had a few bad matches, but it's three best matches were on par and in ways even better than the main event of the stampede. And it was a four hour show with far better production. And it always seems better when the big show of the year delivers, as opposed to it being a monthly show being off the charts and then soon forgotten. Why do you think that is? I totally agree with that, but it does feel like this allure and the magic of WrestleMania rings true. You know, people still talk about a WrestleMania moment and I know it was a big moment when Sasha Banks and, and Charlotte Flair main evented a pay-per-view hell in a cell a few years ago, but it will pale in comparison to the women main eventing WrestleMania this year. Why do you think that is that? 
you know, the hell in the cells and the judgment days and the backlashes, they just come and go, but there is something about WrestleMania that just, you don't forget it sticks with you. Like people will eventually forget, you know, what pay-per-view you won the belt at here or there, but they remember what you did at WrestleMania. Because it's the granddaddy of them all. It's just the, it's the Super Bowl. It's the World Series. It's everything. It's WrestleMania. It is the biggest spectacle of the year, and that's the moment where people can can shine and make their moment. Because at that point in time, they're probably going to be seen by the largest audience, um, for a special event than they ever will. We should talk about the main event a little bit now because Meltzer obviously says this is the big story and and it was, and it's really the reason that I think this show is a little overrated. Meltzer would write the big story in the ring was the Steve Austin heel turn, which went ignored by the live crowd in Houston who were largely there to cheer Austin to win the WWF title by any means necessary. That included working a heel style from the start and gaining the title due to lots of help from Vince McMahon. Even a handshake and a beer drinking toast after the fact. The Astrodome crowd largely ignored that McMahon was even there, only seeing Austin win the title. And it was very interesting because the crowd watching on television, led by the announcer reactions, no doubt reacted completely different than the fans in the building as shown on Raw the next night while still in Texas. The Austin turn had been on the books for months. Months ago, it seemed natural due to the ascension of the younger Rock, who had eclipsed Austin's popularity in recent weeks, plans didn't change. Even though the Vince McMahon standard of listening to the audience would have made him take a different path as even with Austin's nastier demeanor and playing the psychological heel role, the crowd was beginning to boo rock when the two confronted each other and the company was even having to confiscate signs at television tapings. Do you remember that? that this was the plan months ahead of time. The fans started to maybe shit on it a little bit because they're booing the rock, which isn't the desired result. And instead of pivoting and going with it, you start confiscating signs and just, first of all, (laughs) no. And we, we knew we were going to encounter that because it was a baby face match. And when you have a baby face match, they're going to choose sides. The fact that we're doing it in Texas, um, 90 miles from where Steve grew up in Victoria, we knew it was going to be a pro Austin crowd. However, we also felt very confident we'd be able to tell that story. And on the build, you, you had Austin, the, the, he was a baby face. Rock was a baby face. So people were choosing on the way to WrestleMania, we knew we would encounter that, um, but also felt after you get over that hurdle on the backside, the association with Mr. McMahon would help make Steve a stone cold heel. Um, I don't know that Steve could have, you know, done anything in the middle of the ring. And I don't know that the audience at that time was going to boo Steve Austin. There was even a bit of me as I'm watching this, and you listen to the crowd that I wonder if they thought Vince was turning baby face for, <laughs> for a minute by helping Steve. Um, and for the live audience and the commentators, they knew what story to tell. And yes, they were telling a completely different story on TV, but 
going into it, we all 100% knew Steve was going to be the baby face. The more heelish he was, the more he was over as a baby face to that audience. So no, we went in with our eyes open on that, but we were shooting for the backside of it. We went into it as a baby face match. We didn't try to, to steer anybody one way or another leading up to the match. We wanted the, the shock on the end, the handshake with Mr. McMahon and Mr. McMahon helping Austin out. Um, but that live audience, they were like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. Vince has fucking finally seen the light. Um, uh, <laughs> and that's just, it's a price you pay when you've got to get to the other side and the other side, there were different ways to go that didn't pan out due to injuries. Um, but no, we, we knew, we knew going into the thing and the decision was made, what was going to take place afterwards. And we were committed to it, but we also knew the bumps in the road along the way. Talk to me about when you guys made the decision for him to go heal. Um, God, December, because I remember just the, the going over it back and forth and back and forth from like January on and, and kind of the battles of triple H being involved and, and just different things and really wanting triple H to turn baby face as well. Um, it was, it was an ongoing battle because it wasn't just, the original, the original, original plan wasn't just Steve turning heel. It was to do the double switch right after that with Hunter for Hunter to turn babyface, And that's why, you know, the, the whole undertaker thing and at WrestleMania and he squashes triple H. And then after the fact, um, instead they wanted to go on a, uh, two man wrecking crew through everybody. And, it just, it changed right afterwards. And it, in my opinion, didn't change for the better. Yeah. I mean, I think you've sort of teased that before, but I think that's, uh, I mean, that probably should have been the way it went. Uh, Meltzer would continue even months back when the tease for the match began a rock interview where he started trash talking. Austin saw the crowd turn on him briefly by the final week, more due to tweaking of rock's character, having him punk Austin out a few times on television and be nicer to new employees. The crowd was split in their reactions, but it was a foregone conclusion. That wouldn't be the case at the beginning of the match in Houston. Every appearance on the screen of rock was met with heavy boos and Austin received thunderous cheers. Let me ask you this. How much of that do you think is them just cheering the hometown hero more so than just the television character? They're pulling for the guy. Cause by God, he's from Texas, a big part of it. And also you're again, neither guy was a definitive heel, both baby faces going in. There is a large, probably larger segment of the audience, man, they want to witness the title change. They want to witness history. They want to see, you know, they want to see the underdog win and whoever the challenger is most times is the underdog. Let's talk a little bit about, um, a bit of a change in policy that happens on this show as well. Chris Benoit is acknowledged as a former WCW champion who never lost the title. Paul Heyman is constantly referring to ECW championships that have never really been acknowledged before on the show. And you're even sort of paying homage to the past with the gimmick battle Royal, which is something you 
maybe a few years prior wouldn't have done like this. I mean, obviously we know what's changed in, in, in terms of business, WCW and ECW being gone, but why did Vince loosen up on that? Well, because we owned them now and it wasn't acknowledging your competitor. We, we had them at this point and it was, uh, just to try and, and change and acknowledge, acknowledge the past. If it benefited the storyline. All right, let's keep it rolling here. Um, the WCW talent that you fly in, this was a fucking flop. Was it not? You had Johnny Ace, Chavo Guerrero Jr., Mike Awesome, Lance Storm, Hugh Morris, Sean O'Hare, Mark Jindrak, Chuck Palumbo, Mike Sanders, Stacy Keebler, and Sean Stasiak. Um, you know, we see a bunch of these dudes in the box. I think a lot of people, myself included, are curious. Hey, now that they own WCW, what's going to happen here? I think a lot of us assume there would be something happen in the ring. You've already explained why that didn't happen. But then it's this group of guys. Fuck, why even bother? Is that wrong of me to say? Well, no, I mean, how's it a flop? We showed them, uh, and that's all it was ever meant to be. It was never meant to be anything more than that. And people don't, you know, they always, you look at from the, from the bigger picture, and they don't understand everything going on on the business end of things. So... Well, people and, assume, oh, well, they bought WCW. So Bill Goldberg's going to run in. Well, no, I get that. But at the same time, but, like if you're just going to show them and they're not going to do anything, I mean, was I supposed to be like, God damn Chuck Palumbo's there. I wonder what he's going to do. Cause I didn't, I didn't think that at all. No. And we didn't expect anyone to think it. We're just saying, Hey, there's a presence here. And it was a reminder without harping on it that Shane purchased WCW and those guys, these guys are here to support Shane tonight, you know, watching being a part of WrestleMania. That's all it was ever supposed to be. Nothing more. Do you know why is this just the old in case shit? You guys told the talent, bring your gear and whatever championship belts you have. And specifically we're talking about tag titles with Palumbo and O'Hare. They're all told to bring their gear and those belts. And then as it turns out, of course, they're never brought backstage to talk to any of the wrestlers. And by the time they return to the hotel, the WWF crew has already left. Chat me up though. Can you speak to, is this just the old, Hey, if you're going to the building, even if you're not booked, you should just take your shit just in case. Yes. And there was also an opportunity, uh, if we had the opportunity then to, to shoot pictures with them, to get them on video and to do different things with them. That's it. But the idea that that's happening at WrestleMania, you guys are so fucking busy with everything else. I wasn't there, but even I'm like, oh, they don't have time for that shit. Yeah. But yeah, again, now, nowadays they actually, they, it's such a machine that they do. And even then it was something that had that come up that we might've been able to squeeze them in and do some stuff with them, but it was more than anything, be prepared and for whatever may take place because things change at the last minute. I'm just going to tell you in hindsight. You can always sort of tell when something jumps the shark. Maybe you don't know when it happens, but the invasion jumped the shark at WrestleMania X seven, six days after you acquired it. It's fucking already over because the cutaway shot is of goddamn Mark Jindrak and Chuck Palumbo. It's not, it's not Goldberg or flair or DDP or nope. It's fucking Chavo and humorous. Nope. That's all that it was. 
That's, I mean, why even bother? Well, okay. If that's, if that's the case, then why bring in any of them over then to that logic? Then why would you take any talent? Then if we just done that, then we should have just bought the library and said, no, fuck all you talent. We we don't want any of you and and move on. I think that would have gotten our hopes up a little less than the horseshit you gave us with the invasion. Well, (laughs) bummer. Uh, I mean, again, go back to your guys that were, that were overpaid, had contracts that were huge that they weren't, you know, again, they weren't willing to (laughs) get out of or walk away from, they wanted to get paid. And I think if I was in the same situation, I would too. Oh, we know it's a a business. It's a business decision where you just go, okay, we're, we're making the best business decision for us. Let's keep it rolling here. Um, that's what right. China's career ending neck injury, which was supposed to give her an Achilles heel and explain why she's now wrestling women saw China blow off the injury in an interview saying she was fine and then sell almost nothing in her title win over ivory, which was a one-sided squash. The only positive of which is that the fans see her as a star and the bookers know to keep her ring time short, uh, chat me up here. Do you remember anything about this angle being dropped? Is this just one of those as the wind blows changes that we always read about in the observer? Well, I, I really don't know what you're, what you're referring to there. It was China coming in and looking to do something different with China. It was a logical extension with the right to censor and with ivory. And it became a personal issue with China. It was something that she hadn't done yet. She hadn't won the women's championship. So that was okay, let's go there. And we went there. Let's talk about, uh, some backstage news from around this time. Elsewhere, right. There was a couple of minor talent issues that surfaced during the week leading up to the show. The complete card was made clear after SmackDown the prior Tuesday, which led a lot of the wrestlers who'd been with the company on the road all year that weren't booked on the show at all upset about not sharing in the biggest payday of the year. By the latter part of the week, the word was out that virtually every full-timer on the roster would have a part in the show in some form, except for a few on the bottom rung. Then the night before the show, the plans changed and virtually everyone off the show originally was off the show again, likely because they were already doing a four hour mania and it wasn't good to add matches live to heat. Several wrestlers were vocal among them was Steve Blackman. Uh, because he had always done his job and been on the road all year and X-Pac who until recently had always been kept as one of the main players on the squad. X-Pac said he was going to go to triple H and when showtime came, many of the original people who were off the show were back on. So it does feel a little hokey pokey ish. We've heard about this before. We talked about it last week with WrestleMania 10, where a big tag team match was scrapped uh, in the middle of the show. What do you remember about this WrestleMania X seven card and how it changed a few times the week of to include or not include some, for lack of a better word underneath guys. Well, a lot of that just comes down to timing and too much show. So when you've got whatever you have three hours and 55 minutes of showtime for the event, there's only so much you can put in. And and it's funny, the same people that would complain that, oh, we didn't have so-and-so on the show are the same people that complain that X match didn't have enough time. And 
it's you, you, you got to serve an awful lot of masters. And as you get into it and you get closer and guys are asking for more time and different things, it's a happy medium. You, you have to serve a lot of masters and you've got to make it work. It's a jigsaw puzzle, putting all of that together. So sometimes shit goes away. Then you come back and guys say, oh, well, you can take 10 minutes off my match. Or five minutes here, five minutes there. Well, fuck, now we have more time to, to put. Maybe we can put more shit on here. Again, it's it's living and breathing and constantly changing and constantly moving. Of the guys on the main roster who were not on the show, you got Rikishi, who's out with a busted eardrum, Scotty Tuhati, who had a neck injury, Tori from Tough Enough, uh, Billy Gunn, Al Snow, all Tough Enough, K quick, who we know is our truth now, uh, crash Molly, Holly, Bob, Holly, who's also out with an injury. Big boss man's not here because his new gimmick supposedly hasn't been introduced yet. Uh, low down Kai and Ty, SA Rios and Terry. So there are some folks who aren't on the show, but I don't know what you would have done with them. That's the point. And yeah, you could. You know, you could have done an eight-man tag there with some of those guys. Who would have cared? And I, I don't think that other than them, yes, it's a big moment to be a part of WrestleMania. And I get it. But I also feel that there is there's a there's a place and there's you know, there's a time and a place for everything. And some things, unfortunately, not everybody gets to go to the big dance. That's uh, it's unfortunate, but that's just life. Could have put them in, uh, in that box with all those WCW guys. Sure. Just give everybody knives, put them in that box, tell them whoever fights their way out. I know you put $5,000 on the hood of a car and and anyway, (laughs) all right, let's keep going. Let's talk about the open of the show. What a fucking awesome opening video package. This is. Uh, the voice over here, is that Freddie Blassie? Yes. Uh, these packages historically at open WrestleMania are always amazing. We've talked about them in the last few weeks. Do you remember who did this one? Is this David Sahadi? Feels like it should have been. I, it was either. I don't even know. Sahadi was there at that time. If it wasn't Sahadi, it was Adam Panucci. Well, whoever but it if, was, uh, tip of the cap to you. God damn is good. Uh, we've previously discussed why King isn't here. Um, how nervous were you about putting Paul Heyman in that spot here for WrestleMania? Really not at all because Paul and JR had worked previously in WCW. They had good chemistry and Paul knew the stories. Paul, you know, shit, Paul knew the stories better than Lawler did ever. Paul, Paul was up on it and, and listening to it, as I said, in the very beginning, um, Paul added an awful lot to this show and, and fuck, he was, he was on his game here, not over the top, just telling great stories and getting talent over. Was there ever any discussion to trying to get a WCW announcer here? I mean, a Tony Schiavone or a Mike Tanay or any of those guys, since you've got their contracts now too. No, okay. I don't think we had their contracts. They uh, weren't people that we absorbed. Had to get. Columbo. All right. Uh, Chris Jericho is in your first match. He's working with William Regal. They're going to go seven minutes and eight seconds. 
It only got two stars, uh, but uh, Jericho gets the win when he uh, earns a pinfall and retains his intercontinental title. Meltzer will say match was fine in some ways, well wrestled by Regal, although Jericho had one of those matches where he was slightly off on things. Where it ended up disappointing is that it was just too short. Uh, what'd you think of the match? I actually dug it. Uh, these are two of my favorites though. So I think I would be entertained by nearly anything they put out. I thought it was an excellent opener and it, it set the stage. They went out and they wrestled a solid match. Um, probably cause it was in the wrong dome. Maybe why he didn't like it, but it was, it was solid. It was stiff and they put on a hell of a show and it was a great story leading up to it with, Jericho and Regal kind of going back and forth, but I found it highly entertaining. Let's, uh, let's keep it rolling here and let's talk about the next match. Um, well, I guess we should touch base on, and I know we've talked about this for sure with Regal, the way they built this program is the PT segment, uh, which is one of your favorite segments. R- refresh everybody's memory about what the hot issue here with Jericho and Regal was. Well, not PT, but the P in the T, uh, <laughs> for a minute, I had to go PT, uh, Jericho urinated in William Regal's afternoon tea and Regal drank it and felt it had a little twang to it. So that was one of the many things leading up to this, but it was, again, it was two guys that could talk and two guys that could wrestle that really delivered in the match. And it was a great way to start off the night. It was indeed. And, uh, next up was a a backstage vignette that you really enjoyed. Well, yeah, you got APA and Jackie and Ron Simmons there, which just kind of set the stage for what was to come next. But going back and watching this was like, holy shit. Um, Bradshaw was actually ripped (laughs) and, and John getting into character kind of set the stage talking about Texas and the Astrodome and all the things that had taken place, but it was a way to even get that Texas crowd all that much more behind APA and Jackie as we go into the next one. The next one is Bradshaw and Farouk teaming with Taz with two Z's to be Godfather, Bull Buchanan and Val Venus. You know, I'm going to take a time out here to find out exactly how you guys were able to skirt around trademark or copyright law or whatever and say that no Taz with two Z's is definitely different than Taz with one Z. It's got two Z's. You have no idea how, how many times I tried to convince Taz to get an extra Z put on his little tattoo on his arm. I said, you know, it'd really be good if you would just commit to this gimmick and get an extra Z on your arm. Never did. No, I mean, same, the same way that, that ECW got away with calling him Taz all those years, just in general. Well, but in fairness, they called him Taz and you would always say in front of 1200 people in a bingo hall. And now right. this is a worldwide enterprise known for its licensing agreements globally. And you somehow argue at least enough to do it. That one Z makes it different, right? That's because it does. I mean, technically he was Taz technically if impact had rolled out an under faker character, I mean, would they have gotten away with it? Cause that's different. It's not a T it's an F they made a loop on the T there's a, there's a yeah, loop. But it's still, if they portrayed it as the same character. Oh no. He we're was, not saying we're not, we didn't say that Taz 
was in any way related to anything else. That was just a name. No, no, I get it. But like this under faker character, he could have been like a, an insurance salesman, you know, just nothing. I mean, he's not like, uh, he's not here for your Yeah, soul. that's for lawyers to deal with. Yeah. I just uh, want Taz to get an extra Z on his arm. The match ends abruptly here when the good father, it's not the godfather, but he's actually the good father here, uh, misses a tackle into the buckles and Bradshaw pins him with that clothesline from hell. Uh, nothing to the match, half a star in and out. Three minutes, 53 seconds, but Hey, you got everybody on the show. Anything else you want to mention about this one? It was an ugly, ugly brawl, but, uh, thankfully kept very brief. Bradshaw really had the standout moment backstage and here in the match, he gets the win. Did you have any sort of plans or ambition for him to be a single star yet at this point here in one kind of, and this was during a time that Vince felt that both of those guys would would do better on their own singly. Um, but the more that we would try to go in that direction, a lot of times, the more we'd shift back and people wanted that APA tag team all that much more. So it was, um, yes, to answer your question. Yeah, there, there was, this was the beginning of these guys could be great singles and it's time to move them from the tag team. It just didn't, didn't pull that trigger for quite a while. You want to talk about anything else backstage? You want to get to the next match? Well, you know, the, the next deal backstage had Trish wheeling Linda down the hall where she was in a comatose stage and just, you know, watching it then as they ran into Stephanie McMahon backstage was I've, I've done it just trying to focus on one thing and Linda McMahon's performance throughout all of this was really great just to try and keep a straight face and try and focus and and not watch all the different shit and react to a lot of the stuff that was going on. And to me, that was underrated just going back and watching that and going, Hmm. All right. That was interesting. Well, I didn't know how you would classify Linda and Trish in this segment. So I'm glad we at least got to got you to talk about it a little bit. Let's get to uh Kane. Winning the hardcore title over Raven and Big Show, nine minutes, 18 seconds. No Pete Rose this time at WrestleMania in the Kane match. And they try to do something different here, to say the least. They're brawling all the way through the back. They've got these, uh, it looks like you guys built some rooms for them just to tear down and go through the glass window and go through the wall. I mean, people are running into each other with golf carts. It's pretty crazy. But it is fun. I mean, I have to give it props for that. It only got a star in three quarters. I thought it was much more fun than that. What'd you think? Well, a little too much backstage for me. And, and it's funny. You say, oh, you people built, uh, rooms and shit backstage. Again, that goes to the rumor and innuendo because there was a wall built in rooms that were already there. And the fact that we went through a wall that they weren't supposed to go through and people just assume that they assume everything's gimmick because a few things are gimmicked. And that's why I just have to chuckle sometimes because well, no one said that I, I just made that up, but just watching it, it feels like, boy, if, if, if someone actually paid a contractor for that, somebody needs to call their mama. Yeah. No, the, the, the outside wall in the room was there. And then we utilized, you know, the, the gimmick glass and, and built a gimmick wall in there, but it was, um, 
Yeah, one of those walls took a hell of a beating from, I think, Big Show or Kane, one of the two. And then when Raven got on the damn golf cart with Big Show and it just was, I guess, too much weight and and ran off and went into the damn thing, there was supposed to be a little chase there with Kane getting on the golf court and chasing Raven and Show backstage to that area a little bit. And they had to quickly change plans up a little bit and, and fight to where they needed to get to. But that was, <laughs> I remember it when it happened and going, Oh shit. Um, hoping everybody was okay. Cause that damn thing could have gone off the edge and, but it was, it was good. It was fun. It was, it was a hardcore match. I wish more of it would have taken place in front of the audience, but I also understand why we did what we did and it accomplished what it set out to accomplish. I enjoyed it. It's, it's a sleeper match here on the show. Go check it out. Uh, sort of silly, sort of fun. The golf cart chase, uh, was maybe the part that people sort of poke fun at going through the window though. Something everybody still talks about. Uh, you want to talk about the backstage stuff or just get to the next match? Well, no, the, the backstage stuff was, was good shit and it, it was good for what it was and made it all made it all work and then from that going back to Kurt Angle watching over and over Chris Benoit making him tap out in a match and asking Edge and Christian if you tap out when the referee isn't there does that really count as a tap out it's kind of like if a tree falls in the forest but no one's there to hear it does it make any noise and just seeing edge and Christian back in that, in that old character and Kurt with hair. It's the other thing in this show that was kind of interesting. Big show with hair, Kurt with hair, rock with hair. Um, everybody was so young. It was that kind of blew me away a little bit. Well, Eddie Guerrero here is going to pin test to win the European title. Eight minutes and 30 seconds. Perry Saturn comes out with Guerrero. And, uh, interesting look here, to say the least huge size difference between these two guys. They get managed to get two and a quarter stars out. Uh, Malenko comes out, distracts the ref while Guerrero gets the title belt, hits test with it, gets the pin. Uh, I thought it was okay. I mean, better than probably you expected a test match to be, but it does feel like, you know, if you could do it over again, you'd do something different with Eddie here. What'd you think? Well, it was the best test test match he ever had. And every time that I watch Eddie, it just reminds me of how fucking good he really was because Eddie got everything that he could out of test. And there was a size differential, but Eddie made you believe throughout that entire match that he belonged in it and that he could beat this big bastard anytime he wanted. It was, it was what it was, but it was the best match I think Test has ever had in his life. And Perry Saturn with his Hulk Hogan mustache and hat was interesting to say the least at first. I, at first, I didn't even know who the hell it was when he came down. Yeah, it is a little weird, uh, but it's cool to see Eddie here on a WrestleMania. Let's get to the uh, the next match, and this is probably uh, one of the matches that people remember the most. It gets four and a quarter stars to the all time greats. Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit, they're given 14 minutes and two seconds. Uh, Angle is doing his best to insult this Texas crowd to make sure Benoit is clearly the baby face. Um, 
I thought the match was really, really good. And I do think maybe, um, the ref bump was unnecessary. You know, if we're trying to be critical of something that was already pretty good. Uh, what'd you think of the match here? I thought it was excellent. Uh, they told a great story all the way through the damn thing. And it, the story building up to it was well told as well. Benoit and angle had tremendous chemistry and they knew how, even if they would start off slow in a match, they would have the audience by the end and for the finish. So the psychology in, in, in their matches always, always got the audience and it made people believe. And, and if you weren't a believer, you watch that match, you sure as fuck were a believer at the end of the match. And it was just a great told story. Everybody did good, uh, coming out of that. But the, you, you go right from that to what Brian Gewertz would probably say was the highlight of the show, um, was something that he had wanted to do <laughs> so bad and we did it and watching it back. I just, I, I laughed out loud when you go back and you see Kamala standing on William Regal's desk, uh, just slapping his belly and Regal coming in to see that and Kim Chi and, and everybody there just, it was, it was a fun classic little break to get to the interview in the back with, uh, with angle and Benoit attacking angle and to make angle tap out as he said he would. And he made him tap out on the interview set. So it was that story continuing and let you know, this ain't over yet folks. I really enjoy the, um, the finish, you know, where angle goes for the moonsault Benoit gets the knees up, but it nails angle in the face. And then Benoit uses the diving headbutt, but none of that is what matters. You uh, get a pin out of nowhere using the tights. Uh, after a match like this, this hard hitting, um, any injuries to speak of? Because some of this stuff looked, uh, pretty snug. An injury to the cyborg. No, uh, <laughs> Kurt's Kurt's kind of hard to injure. I mean, he, he can get injured and yes, he has been, but. During this time, he was a machine and you could smash him in the face with a bulldozer and he would just keep going. So he was an animal. This is both of their second WrestleMania. Of course, they both were at WrestleMania 2000 and they were in a three-way against Chris Jericho. And now they're back here in a singles match. Uh, what'd you think? And how would you compare the two? Um, I know you normally don't like three ways. Jericho obviously added something different to the match. But it is, you know, basically the same match with or without Jericho. How would you compare and contrast them? And did this match make an impression on Vince? Because it does feel like both of these guys are going to start to get a pretty major push coming out of this. Yes, to, to both of those. And I think that this match was better because it was a single match. And it just amplified the skills of both guys and how well they work together and the believability of every single thing that they did in the ring. So to, to that, it made people notice and see that in this, on this platform and exposure to this many people, they took it and they ran with it and made the very most of it. Well, it was a great match. Go out of your way to watch it, especially if you haven't seen it in a long time, probably ahead of its time. 
I think a lot of guys who we see on the main roster today would probably look at a match like this as inspiration, but maybe the next match, not so much. China wins the women's title from ivory in two minutes and 39 seconds. Uh, the commentary would be China has dropped a lot of weight, slimming down, but also dropping a lot of muscle mass to try and give her a more mainstream look match was terrible because it was a total ego show. China blew off the injury angle. Ivory hit her with a belt shot at the bell, but she made a quick comeback and it was a one-sided squash. China gave her a power bomb and then lifted her up at two, then gave her a press slam and pinned her just by laying backwards. Like it was a piece of cake showing no respect at all. Negative one star. What'd you think of China's look here and the commentary on it? And more importantly, the match and the criticism that it was really, uh, disrespectful and uh, squash match. I don't think it was disrespectful at all. It was a squash match, and it was meant to be a squash match. It was booked to be that way. As far as China's look, she looked a lot softer. And when I say softer, her overall look, uh, she looked, I guess, more feminine. But uh, it was probably, in my opinion, her best look. And her coming out of this time, it was like, all right. She looked more feminine, and it was meant to be a squash match it was meant for her to go out and destroy ivory and to be the new women's champion that's what it was designed to do and that's exactly what it did oh my goodness next up we've got a uh, a baseball segment here a couple of astros are interviewed at ringside and uh bagwell says something like wrestlers are great actors what the fuck did vince think of that line God, that's, you know, that's why I hate putting a live microphone in front of douchebags. So, you're going so for all my Houston Astros fans out there, fuck Bagwell. Bagwell is an asshole. Well, let's hear about the Bagwell hate. And for once, we're not talking about the no, Houston Bagwell people know hate. Bagwell's a douchebag. We're not talking about buff. We're talking about Jeff. Yeah. Jeff Bagwell's an, is an asshole. Yes. Okay. Good to know. Speaking of assholes. Shane McMahon pinned Vince McMahon in a street fight in 14 minutes and 12 seconds. Uh, Shane of course comes out and points out the WCW talent in the building before the match. And then Stephanie comes out with Vince and slaps Shane and Shane gets a kendo stick and starts hitting his father. And, uh, eventually Vince potato Shane to the point that he starts to get a mouse around his eye. And the commentary would be Vince isn't a well-trained worker physically and that his stuff looks bad, but he knows how to play a crowd and is willing to get hit. Of course, the big spot was Shane coming off the top rope through the Spanish announcers table when Vince was pulled from safety or pulled to safety by Stephanie. And then of course, Trish wheels out Linda for the big spot. Trish slaps Vince and then, uh, Stephanie and Trish brawl to the back. Linda through all of this, supposedly doped up Vince calls her a bitch and pulls her out of the wheelchair, puts her in a chair in the corner, keeps verbally abusing her. Eventually though, you know what happens? Uh, referee Mick Foley stops him from abusing Linda. And then Vince grabs a garbage can to hit Shane. And then Linda just stands up, gives Vince a low blow. And Shane puts the garbage can in front of his face and does the van terminator all the way across the ring into the face for the pin. It gets three stars and this comatose Linda thing is finally paid off. Trish finally got her comeuppance. Vince McMahon got hit in the balls and Shane got to jump off shit 
and then kick a trash can into his dad's head. This is the McMahon family in a match, is it not? Yeah, it was. It was a culmination of of a story, long, you know, long arcing story, you know, getting to this big blow off. Um, watching it back, I literally got goosebumps when Linda stood up and Shane did the point to turn around, Dad. And Linda got the shot in on Vince, kicking him in the nuts, and and then we went home from there. It was it was an uncomfortable story leading into it and getting into it. And when you're in that creative process, this is the other thing people don't understand sometimes is they're playing characters on TV, but the characters they're playing on TV are based on, you know, real life human beings. Uh, the names aren't changed or anything. Yes. They're characters and they're, uh, embellished quite a bit to be that evil character. But still, sometimes it can be uncomfortable when you're going through a lot of the machinations and suggestions for some of these things. You have to remove yourself and only look at the character. And that's that's one thing that Vince has been able to do where when it's on the you know on the air where he'll go, okay, you know, this is a character, and what would that character do? What would what would they do in this situation? And the match was highly entertaining. They beat the living shit out of each other and the payoff was the right one. And it got a huge, huge pop from everybody there. So, um, in my opinion, it was one of the high, high spots of the, of the night. I don't think that we can overstate how fucking loud this crowd got when Linda just stood up. I know. I mean, it really is unbelievable, you know, in this, era where everybody's doing one more majestic, crazy high risk spot after another. I mean, they're awesome. I'm not arguing that at all, but these guys managed to get over standing up. It's unbelievable that that was as over as it was and, and tells you how invested the crowd was in that story. So even though, uh, you know, I'm the world's worst at being critical of all the McMahon storylines, this one had a big payoff. All right, here we go. The match that everybody really remembers from this show and probably one of the most iconic matches in history. No, no, no. The gimmick battle Royal is not yet Conrad. Fuck off. Edge and Christian regain the world tag team titles in a three-way tables, ladders, and chairs. Oh my match over the Dudleys and the Hardy boys. I don't even know that words can describe this. It got four and three quarters. Fuck that. It was five stars. I've never seen anything like this before. Even my, my casual lapsed fans in my life, people who aren't, you know, people who watch regularly or even could name 10 wrestlers today. They remember this match. This is something else. And if you haven't seen it in a long time, or maybe you've never seen it, get out from under your rock and go watch it this week. It's just crazy. The bumps that these guys take, we can't possibly describe it. I mean, the spear from that edge oh. on the ladder is it was a highlight spot in the open and every sort of video package I don't know, for a decade, maybe longer, but then just falling as far as they did through the tables with Jeff Hardy and, you know, Bubba just crashing into the out, just so many crazy over the top. How are they doing this? How is no one dead? A lot of people still are, uh, 
wearing the scars and injuries on their body to this day from this, but man, it stands the test of time. Unbelievable. I can't put it over enough. It's your turn. In my, in my notes, I actually wrote no words. Yeah. You sit there and watch this in awe at the athleticism, the, the danger, the skill, but the, the match still made sense as, as crazy as all that is. And they put their bodies through so much punishment. It was unbelievable. And at the end of it, for them to get up and walk away from that was a miracle in and of itself. But, you know, like you say, the, the edge spear off the ladder with Jeff Hardy hanging on to the rung in the middle of the ring, hanging from it, trying to grab the belts and, and edge jumping from one ladder to the middle of the ring to spear Jeff Hardy. Insane. The, the, the four table bump on the outside with, like I said, Bubba going through it. Um, every single person in that match came to steal the show that in my opinion, that was their goal to go out there that night, steal the show and have everybody talking about them. And I think that they accomplished it. Uh, phenomenal match, just phenomenal story with so many false, false finishes back and forth. Um, Hardy's Dudley's edge and Christian just off the chart. Kudos. It's, it's something, I mean, I don't even know how to describe this. You, you were there live. Were you on headsets for the show? Where were you watching this show? Oh my God, man. I'm warming up for my big match. Oh, I have geez. time for this shit. I got to get ready to, I had a gigantic battle Royal that I was entered in Conrad with prize money and undisclosed, undisclosed prize money that trust me was worth fighting for Pally. What's the reaction backstage to these guys playing an all the line in this TLC? Seriously, just it was standing ovation and and thankful that they were all able to to walk out because those are scary, man. I don't care who you are, how well trained you are, how tough you are. Those bumps, every single bump was putting their career on the line in so many ways, and they wanted to they wanted to make it that special, and they did. They definitely delivered. It's unbelievable. Go out of your way to watch it. <sighs> Next up, maybe not the same. I got a dud, but it was fun for what it was. It was a, a dud. Three minutes, five seconds, a very short old timers battle royal that we're calling the gimmick battle royal. All the intros are pretty campy. Commentary is two of the greatest of all time. Mean Gene Okerlund, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and, uh, Originally, Gilberg, this is according to the rumor and innuendo, was supposed to be in this battle royal, but he's pulled from the show because they're concerned a Goldberg chant may come out, and they didn't really want that yet, especially on the heels of them purchasing WCW. Do you remember that? that you guys no, I don't. The only one that I, that I remember uh, that we asked to be in it that did not want to be in it was the Red Rooster. Other than that, I think everybody was, and, and I, I don't remember Gilbert ever being in it. He may have been. I, I just don't remember. Let's keep it rolling here. The guys who are in it are the Bushwhackers, Duke, the Dumpster, Drosay, Earthquake, Bagoon, Doink, the Clown. Who played Doink here? 
Ray Apollo, Kamala, Kim Chi, Repo Man, Jim Cornette, Nikola Volkov, the Freebird, Michael Hayes, One Man Gang, who uh, it would be written here, came as gang because uh, he had lost too much weight to wear the Akeem outfit. It didn't fit anymore. Gobbledygooker, Tugboat, Hillbilly Jim, Brother Love, and Sergeant Slaughter. Um, and the biggest pop of the night on entrances was probably Michael Hayes. That's what I was going to say. Uh, quote, a lot of the wrestlers got no reaction, which isn't a surprise because many of them in their heyday also got no reaction. He's shitting on guys. Bushwhackers as cult favorites, Hayes, who was big in Texas, love who's from Houston and Jim Cornette more because of having catchy entrance music, all got nice reactions. Of course, once the bell rings, everybody's. Uh, bailing out like it's the fucking Titanic, except for the Iron Sheik. The Iron Sheik wins three minutes and five seconds. What do you remember about how this came to be? Whose idea was it? Who else did you pitch? Uh, any any sort of feedback you can give us about this? Because we get questions about it all the time. Well, it it was a uh, it was an idea of trying to incorporate some of the, the past gimmicks and how could we incorporate it? Somebody came up with the idea. Uh, it may have actually been Brian who came up with the idea of let's put them all in a match. And the working name was a gimmick battle Royal. So that became the fucking name of it. The gimmick battle Royal with all the, the gimmicky gimmicks from the past. So we started reaching out to guys. I was, I was not reached out to, I was told I was going to be in it and didn't really want to. But then after a while, I was like, ah, hell yeah, this could be fun. Uh, and like I said, the only one that I remember, and there may have been more, but I remember red rooster was invited to, uh, be a part of it and he didn't want to be a part of it. So that was, uh, the only one I really remember not, but these are guys just going back and looking at old timers that could still walk. So Sheik was questionable, <laughs> but, uh, guys that would still be able to take a bump over the top rope. And again, probably the reason Sheik won is because he wasn't gonna be able to take a bump over the top rope. And sense. it just became a fun little project to go out and do and getting everybody together. I think that the guys that were a part of it were just so happy to be there and to be on the show and be a part of it, that it was pretty easy to, to lay out. And, you know, Pat Patterson got with everybody and laid the thing out fairly simply. And we went out and had us an old fashioned battle Royal, which I should have won. I felt, you know, being in my hometown, I probably should have gone over. Oh, Jesus. Well, if it were a shoot, I am a three-time black belt hall of famer. Well, if Cornette had a baseball. All right. So undertaker, he had a fucking tennis racket. He'd whooped your ass with it. Well, that's why I lasted damn near till the end. Next up undertaker and triple H, which almost sounds like a match from this year's WrestleMania it still happened back in 2001. Uh, they go 18 minutes and 17 seconds. Pretty cool entrance for triple H motorhead is playing him to the ring. Of course, Meltzer really, really, really bearing Lemmy here saying he doesn't even know his own words to his song, but 
what the fuck bullshit he was fucking great i thought it was a great entrance really really enjoyed it uh there is a notable thing that happened in this match though uh, years later triple h has said this is the only time he used a fake sledgehammer and the fake one winds up hurting the undertaker which is kind of ironic and uh there is a, a weird spot here where you guys are doing a big bump from like a um a camera platform is that the right word or what, what do you guys call that it was from, it was from the tech, pa- um, from the tech platform in the hard camera section. So they do this big bump over the top and they show a replay in an angle where you can sort of see that it's gimmicked. I mean, you see that, as you would say, the magic, any heat on the director or the cameraman, or, I mean, that's, that's clearly not something Vince wants airing. No. And it, and it was, it was a poorly timed and poorly, uh, chosen shot. But it was the way that it was all laid out originally. No, they weren't supposed to take that shot and they got caught. So it was, it was what it was, but I don't think it took away from the match. The match itself was, was a good match. It told a good story. Um, the, uh, you know, again, it was much like the hardcore match earlier in the night. I'm not a big fan of things taking place not in the ring or where the majority of the audience can see it. You're right. Um, Oh, and, and maybe that's because I'm, I'm a live event guy and that I always think of the, the fan in the arena and if they can't see it to react to it now for television purposes, you can cover it nine ways from Sunday. Um, sometimes too, but too good. But for me, I, I'm just not a big fan of that unless it's, it's in a place where everybody can see it. And this was the attempt was to get it up there where everybody could see it on the hard camera platform, but still in that, in that setup, there's still a large percentage of the crowd that can't see it live. And you're looking at screens and everything. I think that just takes away a little bit of it, but the story was told and I thought they had a, had a hell of a match. And it was, you know, a, a tough position to be in to have to follow that gimmick battle Royal. Um, but you know, they did all right here. The, uh, I do want to talk about that, that weird spot a little bit because Meltzer covered it. They brawl into this camera pit and undertaker choke slam triple H over the pit onto this gimmick gymnastics pit this was so stupid because the camera just showed this unbelievable side of triple h going over this railing disappearing into thin air as ross talked about a big drop on the concrete and they showed more replays of the same thing then they killed it with the final replay actually showing his landing onto a gimmicked foam rubber pit which basically turned the match from serious comedy or from serious to comedy and making ross look bad or trying to sell it as devastating then undertaker like a young kid at a jungle gym, then an elbow drop into the pit, making it even sillier since you could see the foam protect his fall. Even sillier, the EMTs came out for Triple H and Undertaker attacked him. By the time they got back in the ring, it was nearly 14 minutes into the match. And uh, Undertaker gets the sledgehammer, Tease is using it. Triple H does the low blow. They trode punches. Uh, Undertaker uses the tombstone, no ref. So he sets up the, uh, last rod power bomb. Triple H hits him with the sledgehammer and potatoes him, busting him up. And then Undertaker quickly comes back and wins with a last rod power bomb, three and a half stars. And that spot that busted open Undertaker 
is with a gimmick sledgehammer. That's amazing to me that of all the times it was the real one, everybody, I guess, knew to be safe. And maybe they just thought we can throw caution in the wind since it's gimmicked. And that's the one that fucking hurts him. Well, the only part about it was gimmick is the head, the, the, the wood and all that shit. Everything else about it is real. So God he, damn, I really wish blue Chew was a sponsor this week. No shit. Fucking nailed it. And I, I can't I even know. say it. Bastards. I know. All right. But it, it was, it was just kind of, it was one of those freak accidents that, that happens sometimes. And, and the, and of course, as usual, Meltzer's wrong because you couldn't tell it was a crash pad until undertaker did the uh, elbow drop and they took the shot of the impact. That was the only time you could really tell that it was. And then after that, nothing else mattered, you know, because then it was blatant, but the initial, the initial bump and the initial shots, you, you couldn't really tell until they followed undertaker all the way down and went, Oh fuck. So it is what it is. Shit happens sometimes. That tickled me. The head was gimmicked, but the wood was real. All right. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes. Well, I'm not. Uh, All anyway. right. Next up, the longest main event ever. Steve Austin wins the WWF title from The Rock 28 minutes and six seconds. Hot pace early, Meltzer would say. The vast majority of the crowd cheered Austin. Couldn't hear any booze for Austin, even when he did the full fledged turn. Uh, this is, um, you know, it's weird because rock hits a stunner for a near fall and Vince comes out and then Austin hits rock spine buster for a near fall and rock comes back with a spine buster and people's elbow. And then McMahon breaks up the pin with a save and then rock goes after Vince, but Austin gives him, uh, the, the, uh, rock bottom. And Austin uses a low blow and he holds rock for McMahon to hit him with a chair. And even at this point, the crowd is refusing to turn on Austin, even though the belief going into this had to be that the hate on the McMahon character is so strong, especially this night, given what we just saw with Linda, that this will surely turn Austin, but it doesn't to the live crowd. They go back and forth. And then eventually Austin just goes berserk and hits the rock, you know, 15, 20 times all over his body and then scores the pin. And then Austin and McMahon shake hands and drink beer. And that's the end. It got four and a half stars in the observer. And here comes the hate. I fucking hated it. I hate the finish. I think it ruined it. I love the hype for this. I love the build for it. The promos they're doing ahead of time, the video, it's all outstanding. But when Vince came out to me, the whole thing took a shit. Your turn. I loved it. I loved it. And it was, it had to be the first step to get where we were trying to go with Austin misstep hindsight being 2020. But at the time it was, you had to do it. You had to get there on the biggest stage of them all to set the stage for the rest of the summer and where we wanted to go. Um, looking, you know, when you look back on it, that Texas crowd and the more Steve was a heel, the more people loved him. That's what made Steve a babyface. his heel tendencies. Everything that he did was heelish. So we were trying to do something different. Um, but I still don't think it took away from the match. And I think that the match overall was excellent and told you that 
that story because if you remember going into it, Austin's promos were, I will do, I have to win and I will do whatever it takes to get that title back. And that was the underlying premise leading up to it, that Steve was desperate and willing to do whatever it takes to win that championship back. And that meant he made a deal with the devil and he was willing to do whatever it took. And if that meant getting in cahoots with Mr. McMahon, then he would even do that to get the championship. So that story I thought was told really well. When you look at it in totality leading up to it, um, Steve was just, man, Stone Cold Steve Austin was so fucking over that no matter what you did or to who, they were gonna love they were gonna love it because it was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I don't know what you know what you could do to change that. Uh, we we tried a lot of different things, and he's one of those characters that is genuine. That they feel that whatever guy you have out there, that's him. There's nothing put on, and I believe in that guy. So if he's doing it, then it must be right. In your opinion, and, would this have worked better? I'm not going to say worked. Would it have worked better if they weren't in Texas when they tried to turn Steve? That's well, a tough one. I It probably would have worked better somewhere else. Like, for example, in... in if you had done, if you had done that same thing in Toronto, um, let, let's, in Toronto let's flip flop, let's flip flop. Let's put them in Montreal and then let's, let's put 17 in Montreal and then let's put 18 here in Houston. If, if this was in Montreal, it would have been easier to turn him. Right. I think so. Yes. Do you think the size of the building hurts it too? And what I mean is, you know, I, I know that. Austin always talks about how much he enjoyed wrestling in Chicago because at the Rosemont horizon or all state arena. Now it's got those wood ceilings. So the sound sort of reverberates down and it gets really, really loud in there. Whereas here in a big dome, maybe there is a bit of a delay. The sound isn't exactly the same. It escapes up a little more, which is what we hear about for big stadium shows outdoors. Do you think being so far away, people already sort of have a preconceived they've been preconditioned. Hey, Austin's the good guy. And so the little nuances maybe don't resonate the same. Does that make sense? I don't know if the building is different for the audience. It's definitely different for the performers sometimes. Uh, but this was a hometown crowd, man. They, they came to see their guy. Plus Steve was the challenger. They wanted their guy to win. They wanted to see a title change and they were behind him a hundred percent. So it's yeah, I think if it were to be held as you say in Montreal or even Toronto or something like that, I think that they would have been uh, a lot more receptive to booing Mr. McMahon and the Alliance with Steve. I think they would have gone, what the hell? Um, but I don't know. Steve's Steve's character was one of those that no matter what he did, they still got behind him. He was a tough one to turn heel. In hindsight, you know, Austin has said that he had, you know, really basically two regrets in his run with the WWF. Well, the major ones were walking out in 02 
but then turning heel here. And I think, I mean, I think he's right. Do you think when you look back hindsight being what it is, what would you have done differently? Um, not had the baby face match. Um, and what, what I mean by that is I would have had him wrestle somebody else. Well, no, not wrestle somebody else. I'm saying that I would have had rock go in as a stone cold heel, uh, pardon the pun or turn Steve ahead of it and done something different with Steve before you got there, just so that the audience had a definitive good guy and a bad guy here. They were split and, and you watch the match, man, they were cheering for rock just as much as they were ste- cheering for Steve, Steve, Steve Moore, but there were pops for rock man. And, and they were behind him on the spots. The false finishes were all there. Uh, but if you had turned, if you want, we are dead set on going with Steve. If we turned him at the Royal rumble and done some dastardly things getting to that point. But even then, if he was the challenger, eh, I don't know how, how that's going to feel. However, if rock as the champion were a heel going into it, you'd have blown the roof off the place and you, they blew the roof off the place anyway. When Steve won business starts to take a little bit of a dip and I got to think that a portion of the audience, when stone cold became a bad guy, lost interest. And I know that, you know, Michael Hayes used to say, you know, when you get hot, that's when you leave <laughs> the idea being, you want to always be able to come back. And that, that's a more territorial way of thinking where, you know, you never want to stay until you're just not a draw anymore. That way you can always, you got somewhere to come back to, but here, do you think he left money on the table? And do you think Steve thinks he left money on the table by turning heel here? Yes. Yeah, I do. Because I think that Steve winning the title rock going away, um, It's almost don't fix what's not broken, but we wanted to do something new and we wanted to try something. And Steve was adamant going into it about wanting to be a heel. And we all, you know, we all bought into it. But again, when you look back with, and you look back, rose colored glasses, 2020 vision, mm, don't know if we'd make that same decision. All right, let's talk about it. A lot of people say this is the best WrestleMania ever. I'm saying, eh, eh. you say, I say it is, I, just I say from my, from my experience and, and going back, um, you know, there's, there's WrestleMania three and then there's this one. It's, and to me, this finish messes it up for me. I can't, I can't enjoy it the same way. I wish I could. I mean, I remember where I watched this one. I remember exactly where I was, who I was with, what I was doing. It's a memorable show, but the main event, it's just like, oh man, it's not what I was hoping for. And that's fair. I mean, that, that's fair looking at it, you know, from a fan point of view, I, I can definitely see that sentiment. Um, looking at it as an attraction and looking at it as far as the quality of the matches up and down overall, were they all 42 stars or whatever in Tokyo dome? No, but it was a good, it had a great start great middle and a great finish. So, uh, to me, I think it delivered and for me of the WrestleManias I was involved in is the best. What do you, um, 
what do you think about this, you know, box of gimmicks battle Royal for lack of a better word? Do you think y'all will ever do that again? I don't know. Uh, I thought it was fun. It, it could happen. It could definitely happen. Uh, I don't know who those, the gimmicks have been toned down since 2000s and the, the only gimmicks that are left are even older than the ones <laughs> that were in that one. So it's scary. Let me think. I think I might have been the youngest person in the ring. I mean, that's scary. Duke Dressay is older than you. Okay. Duke, maybe the goon is older than you. Yeah. Yeah. Barney's older than me. Duke is uh, only 50. So yeah, you're way older than him. All right. So let's talk about why not way such a big show. The figure 67,925 fans would rank seventh on the all time recorded list at that point. Obviously the, uh, the North Korea shows were gigantic. WrestleMania three was bigger. SummerSlam at Wembley was bigger. It was a Tokyo dome show in 98, uh, that show in Toronto in 86 with, uh, Paul Orndorff and Hulk Hogan. Um, WrestleMania six was another big one. I think that was like, uh, 67, 678. And so you barely beat that one here, but of course everybody argues about attendance. We'll move along. The paid attendance is 62,886, which is gigantic and trails only WrestleMania three, as far as highest number of paid attendees for a wrestling show in North America. So just tremendous attendance and the gate translates as well. It's $3,530,905, which is the largest in history outside of Japan. I mean, just unbelievable really the wbf record uh at the uh wrestlemania 6 hogan warrior in toronto was 3.49 us so you beat that one too uh wrestlemania 5 was only 1.6 and i think most people remember wrestlemania 5 set a lot of records with hogan and savage on top the merchandise though is one of the real stories it set a record that doubled the company record and the north american record $540,000 worth of swag was sold at WrestleMania three. They did 1.1 million here. So nearly double. It's unbelievable when you really think about how much merch that is. Uh, the per head figure for this show is $17 and 67 cents, which is the second highest figure average per head. Uh, since the last WrestleMania in Anaheim, which was WrestleMania 2000, the all-time record for WrestleMania pay-per-view buys was in 2000, 824,000 buys, but they're going to beat that here too. I can't believe this is a real thing, but you guys go from 800,000 some odd buys for the first time ever. You break a million, you do a million 40,000 buys, uh, a record. You know, we talk about WrestleMania five being, you know, the, the former benchmark that was 767 WrestleMania 15 was 800,000 WrestleMania 2000 was 824 WrestleMania X seven is a million 40,000. You wouldn't break that again until WrestleMania 21, which is just fucking bananas. 
that you were able to get that many buys. And as a result, it sets a revenue record. I mean, even when Meltzer is trying to predict what the gate would be, I mean, what the total take would be, he ran the scenario at 800,000 buys. And again, it did over a million, but at 800,000 buys, he guessed the gross would be $36.6 million. And that's with only 800,000 buys. There's another 200,000 that he didn't even throw in the estimate here. Is that right? Is this the biggest WrestleMania ever by a huge margin? Yeah, as far as drawing goes. And it was also the first time that we really were able to calculate all of the impact that we had, much like you, you read about the economic impact that Super Bowl and NBA bring into a town with their specials. That's what we were doing at this point. We were looking at, we would spend a week there. Well, how much impact did we have on the restaurants and on every, hotels and everything in the city? So when you look at all that, then you look at the revenue brought in from that because we had access and all these different events taking place the week of that it was probably the most profitable WrestleMania in history at that point. Uh, without question. And, uh, the fans loved it just as much as you did. According to the wrestling observer reader poll, it got 99% thumbs up 1% thumbs down the best match. It was a runaway in the reader poll. It was Austin rock. Second place was the TLC match. Third was angle and Benoit. The worst match, and it was a runaway, was China and Ivory. Do you agree with the way that ranks? You would put Austin Rock 1, TLC 2, and then Angle Benoit 3? Yes, actually I would. Uh, and I think uh, there's an argument for the TLC match to be number 1. That's me. I'd go that way. And I'd put Angle Benoit number 2 and Austin Rock 3 just because of the finish. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with the with the way it shook out. But uh, I would say Austin Rock and the TLC match are almost tied. Well, I tell you what, you don't want to be tied when you're playing 2K. So we want to tell you that this week's episode of Something to Wrestle is brought to you by the WWE Supercard Season 5, this collectible card battle game enjoyed by millions and millions of WWE fans featuring your favorite superstars. We're talking the big names, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Ronda Rousey. And Season 5 of WWE Supercard is available now for free in the Apple App Store, Google Play, and Amazon's App Store. Check it out right now. Go visit wwe.2k.com forward slash wrestle to get your free card pack. That's wwe.2k.com forward slash wrestle, and you're going to get a free card pack. And while we're doing cards, we should send a very special happy birthday to the one and only Michael P.S. Hayes. Today is a big monumental birthday for that man. He turned 60 years old today. How about that? Do, do, do. Do you want to uh, have Jim Cornette or Dusty Rhodes or Macho Man or Johnny Ace or Vince McMahon sing him happy birthday? Fuck that goddamn old Freebird motherfucker. Happy birthday, bitch. Well, all right. There you go. Uh, if you'd like to, and, and you should, by God. Uh, you should send a happy birthday message to our buddy. He's been a big part of the show, and uh, he's never appeared on the show. We don't do guests, but he did do a run-in at a live show. He's at Michael P.S. Hayes and the number one. At Michael P.S. Hayes one. Today is his 60th birthday, and originally we were going to cover him today, uh, but you guys were hot and heavy on WrestleMania X7, so here we are. 
Uh, let's get to some questions here. We did some rapid fire questions on social media. I'm going to run through these. Bruce, are you ready? I am ready. Um, why was so much TV time put into the rock Deborah manager connection? It seems something big was happening, but I never got why was there a reason for this? And why was it dropped so quickly? That comes to us from Sean Blackford. I don't think anybody cared. And when we got into it, it was a way to try and, and put a further wedge in between them, them being rock and Austin, but I don't think anybody really cared. And it, it was a force more than anything. CJ Newman wants to know, did William Regal get any grief for wearing the intercontinental title upside down on the way to the ring? He wore it upside down that bastard. I don't think anybody noticed. All right. Uh, Marcelo de Casas wrote, there are a bunch of great matches on this show. My question is which match does Bruce believe doesn't get the credit it deserves. Hmm. Probably, I, I guess from listening to you, the Austin rock match, but I think it does get the credit it deserves and probably the regal Jericho match because it set the pace and it set the tone for the night and it, it got off to a great start and may not get the love that it really deserves. It was good. Let's talk a little bit about Fuber's question. He wants to know, did Linda need to practice kicking Vince in the balls? Now that sounds like a silly question, but at the same time, if you've never you know, tried to work a kick to the balls. That means you just really kick him in the balls. What happened? Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. No, it, it, it's, here's the thing with someone that, that is not a seasoned worker. You just got to take it. And for her to try and practice that and pull that, it would look terrible. Here's a rumor. I never heard. This one comes to us from Scott. I heard rumor years ago that triple H and Mike Tyson were considered for this show. How close was that to happening? I never heard that. What? Yeah. Apparently this guy thinks Mike Tyson was going to wrestle triple H. Is that just made up? Um, never heard that until just this moment ever. Uh, Steven wants to know why was the gobbledygooker in a different outfit than the original one? Did the company not keep that one? feels like that would have been in mint condition. No, fuck. He tore it all over the place after survivor series and the old costume had disappeared and was in really, really bad shape. Well, it didn't disappear. It was in really, really bad shape. I don't know why that's funny to me, but it is, uh, Norm wants to know what does Bruce think of the stage on camera shots? You couldn't really see the WrestleMania X seven fully, but they're disappointed with the look of the show. <laughs> um, that was a day of altercation because the original set, the way that it went up with to get all of that in blocked a shitload of seats. And the Astrodome was legitimately 100% sold out. And then on top of that, you had a lot of extras with people coming into suites and, and just different areas. So to try and, accommodate another, I think it was almost 3000 people that would have been affected if that had gone all the way to the roof, like it was designed. Um, it would have been a, it was a tragedy and it was tough enough to do what we had to do to move people that we had to move once it was actually set up, but there was a lot of shuffling going on and, it just, it was made bigger than was anticipated. 
those tickets were sold. So we had to make concessions. Great question from AJ. Uh, this WrestleMania was branded X seven. The year prior was WrestleMania 2000. The year following was X eight. Was there a deliberate effort to move away from the more traditional Roman numerals during the attitude era? And if so, why change it back to WrestleMania XIX number 19? Uh, a whim, no more Roman numerals. God damn it. We've got to get it. done. year 2000. Um, just change for no other reason, uh, just change. And it, back in the day, I remember it would never change from Roman numerals and then it changed and then it changes back. So it may change again in the future. Uh, Ted wants to know, are there any pictures of Bruce working gorilla dressed as brother love? I did not work gorilla this match. Jerry, uh, Jerry Briscoe did. So what'd you do the rest of the day? Dude, I look, I was training. I was warming up. up. I was, I was watching match footage on all of the competitors in, in that battle Royal, because look, repo man, he's sneaky. And I knew that. Yeah. Tune in next week for keeping kayfabe, something to kayfabe with Bruce Pritchard. No, that's what seriously. That's what I did. I just was getting ready for the match and, and watching the show. Oh my God. That's so fucking dumb. Why is that dumb? It just is. Hey, I'm not going to go out there and, and blow a quadruplicity. Can you be snippets at Chase? David Bixon's fan writes the week of WrestleMania X seven is when the WWE started branding the female talent exclusively as divas. What led up to that decision? Just a change in presentation and, and how, you know, no different than superstars. The females are going to be divas. It was just a branding. Alrighty. Uh, downtown Howell Brown wants to know, do you think the promo package for rock Austin is the best that the company ever produced? One of the best ever. Yes. And it was, like I said, I watched it twice and it was just that damn good. And the music fit the music fit the story. Andrew wants to know, did Bruce enjoy kicking Jim Cornette's ass in the battle Royal? <laughs> Uh, he kicked my ass a little bit too, but we had a, we had an awful lot of fun and corny and I looked at each other and said, I'm coming for you and made sure that we were safe in that corner until he got eliminated quickly. And I immediately went, Oh fuck man. Uh, then mixed it up with, with Michael Hayes and the goon and bushwhackers and old Lakeem a little bit there. But, uh, no, I was a lot of fun and we did that on purpose. <laughs> We'd stay safe in our own corner of the ring. Um, Francis wants to know who came up with the designs for the baseball jerseys for mania. Oh, that'd be art department people. But I think it was, you know, it, I just thought they were cool as shit. I loved them. Uh, and it, it was an art art department deal. I think coming off of the Astros because Houston had lost their football team by that time, but kind of playing off of the Astros and the Astrodome being a baseball stadium. All right. Uh, Brad wants to know, and this is a great question. Corporal Kirshner was in the first graphic used on television for the gimmick battle Royal. Is there a story or any recollection on why he was booked and then canceled? Or was this just an error on the graphic? Uh, that's, that's, that's a fun question. Cause I didn't even know that that was there, but he even tweets a picture of it here where he's top left next to Sergeant Slaughter. Well, uh, 
Kirshner was originally uh, put into the thing, and then later on, I think he had a conflict or didn't want to do it. But he was one on the original list, and it may have been one of those situations where TV had a list of, okay, here's some of the people that will be in it, and Kirshner never got off the list. Um, Andrew wants to know, is there ever any talk or even possibility to keep Bobby Heenan around in a, in a regular or semi-regular way on air after mania? Yeah, I think we all would have loved that. And, you know, Bobby, I don't think Bobby was ready to come back in any kind of full-time capacity, but that was opening the door for Bobby to, to come back. Same thing with Gene for both of those guys to come back and be used on, a sparing basis in the future, but yes, we, we definitely would have loved to have had Heenan back. You talked about one name, hard barbecue, hard movie barbecue wants to know, are there any other names who turned down an appearance in the gimmick battle Royal? Um, again, the only one I really remember was Terry Taylor, the red rooster. Um, and obviously something happened with Kirshner and I don't remember what that was, but I know he was on the original list. Um, but Terry Taylor is the only one that I remember. Cause I just thought, why the hell wouldn't you want to come and do it? Donnie, so good payday and go have fun. Donnie wrote something I'd never heard before. There's long been rumors that Bret Hart was going to be the special guest referee for the Vince Shane match with Mick Folt, Mick Foley, ultimately filling that role. Did WWE seriously negotiate with Brett to return here? And if so, how close did it come to happening? No, not at that point. No, I don't even think that by that time that we were even talking to Brett. So that didn't happen for another year or two. Mike Siron wants to know what you thought about stealing finishers, rock and Austin trading stunners and uh, rock bottoms here. Well, they weren't stealing it. They were using it against each other. And that was part of the story building up was that, you know, Austin, I'll beat you with the rock bottom and rock coming back. I'll beat you with the stunner. So it was a part of the story leading up to it that they knew each other so well that they were able to use each other's finisher. And, uh, that was just part of the story to make this match unpredictable. Beard of Riker wants to know. Was the name for this WrestleMania sort of like one of the other Vincesms where you can't call it a belt. It's a championship backstage. Did people refer to this show as X seven or they made to, or did everybody just still commonly refer to it as 17? I was 17. Uh, Hans Carpenter says Raven claims he came within millimeters of cutting the building's power. When he crashed the golf court golf cart during the hardcore title match, how would it have been handled if he cut the power to the building? What would have been the protocol and would you've had to offer refunds? Well, uh, no, he didn't come close to killing the power from the building. The power for a building that size is a, it's all over the place. And no, that didn't happen. He came close to damn near electrocuting himself and, and fucking some shit up, but he never would have taken out the power for the whole building. Well, all right, we're going to take out the power on this week's episode. We hope that you enjoyed WrestleMania X seven and uh, I look forward to your uh, hate tweets. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. He is at Bruce Pritchard and we are out of time this week on the show, but we look forward to being back with you here next week. And if you haven't already go snatch up a ticket and see myself, Bruce Pritchard. And of course, good old Jr. on stage for the last time in New York city. Tickets are on sale right now at BrucePritchard.com. It's the Monday after WrestleMania. 
You can still enjoy raw and then come check us out and wrap up your WrestleMania weekend in style and uh, stay tuned in the coming weeks. We've got King Kong Bundy, Michael PS Hayes, and a whole lot more. Give us a follow on Twitter if you haven't already. And uh, hopefully we'll try to get that video up there for my way with Limp Biscuit. And uh, go out of your way to watch that and that TLC from this show. Be glad you did. Now we're at Pritchard Show on Instagram, at Pritchard Show on Twitter, and out of time here on the show. Hit it, Bruce. Shaka Khan. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.